Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 256 of Cyclocross Radio. On this episode, we're talking to Stephen Hyde, who, at the time that this is being released, just announced his retirement from professional cyclocross. Knowing this announcement was happening, uh, Stephen was gracious enough to jump on a call and chat about what went into his decision, uh, what the future may look like, and also to reminisce about some of the highlights of his career. Uh, Stephen's been on the show a lot, so <laughs> some of this conversation may have a familiarity to it if you've been listening to Cyclocross Radio throughout the years. That being said, I always enjoy these conversations. I always learn something new about Stephen Hyde, and this one is no different. Before we get to that conversation, I do want to tell you about the sponsor for Cyclocross Radio, and that's Endura. And Endura has you covered for not only cyclocross, but also gravel, mountain bike, and and the road. It's it's really apparel for every rider. And and the thing that I love about Endura is it's it's nearly bulletproof. I I put gear through a lot of uh, hard times and heartache and turmoil. And I'm not a small person, and it it holds up, and it's some of the most durable, comfortable gear that I own, and and I want you to to have some of that gear too. And through the wide angle podium, you can get 20% off your order if you just enter wide angle 20 at checkout, and that's a capital W. And then everything else is lowercase, wide angle, and then just the number two, number zero. Go to endurasport.com, enter that promo code at checkout, you get 20% off. And and I you're, I guarantee you, you're you're gonna love it. It's 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 some of the best kit out there. Speaking of wide angle, head on over to the wide angle podium, jump on the shows. Road racing is starting, so uh, Criterium Nation is gearing up for a big season. Over on the Wide Angle Podium YouTube channel, we got some great stuff in the works, so keep your eye on that. Subscribe to that channel, and as soon as those videos are released, you will know about them. And head on over to the CXR's Bulletin. Zach is continuing to pump out daily gold. He's like he's like the rumple stiltskin of cyclocross, spinning out that gold. So give us a follow over there, subscribe, hit us up at cxairsbulletin at gmail.com, where we will be inundating you with cyclocross world's coverage. Alright. It's episode 256 of Cyclocross Radio. We're chatting with Stephen Hyde. And we're doing that right now. Stephen Hyde, uh, we um, 
I last saw you at national championships in uh, Illinois. Didn't get an opportunity to see a post-race, but you could definitely tell from seeing you kind of going around at the finish line and also around the around the parking lot shortly after <laughs> that that something was up. <laughs> May not have been like actually said in words out loud or publicly, but something was up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a weird time of like, uh, uh, I wasn't really sure, uh, kind of going into this season, what it was really going to look like, how much kind of bandwidth I was going to have and, you know, whether I was going to be able to kind of nurse my body through all of this and keep it healthy and, um, balance, uh, a very new transition into parenting, <laughs> um, you know, and just, uh, yeah, it just kind of came to a point where I had just kind of, my decision was made that this, this was the last year for sure. And, you know, whether, uh, uh, whether I liked it or not, I think it was just kind of time, you know, it was, it was a little bit, uh, tumultuous <laughs> for sure. And it was up and down. I find, you know, I found some decent form and I was okay. And I, I think I kind of fought really hard through this, like, uh, okay. I just need to like feel, I just need to like do a couple of races where my body, I finish and like my body isn't hurting. And I did that. And then I was like, Oh, cool. I can actually do that. All right. Well, that's like, that's one stress like off of me. All right, cool. And it kind of made it easier to be like, right, yeah, maybe we can, maybe we're just done here. Um, so I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to make it to the world championships. I, I honestly, my kind of plan over the last couple of years was, all right, maybe I'll make it, I'll, I'll make it to this, this U S world. And, uh, kind of have that be my last hurrah. And, um, it just got to the point where around Falmouth where, I kind of realized it was just, it was time, you know, my brain just couldn't handle both worlds. Uh, my body was obviously, uh, not playing along as well as I wanted it to. Although I, I did feel like I had a good, good handle on it. It was just taking so much of my time to be healthy. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're, when you're training and your body's good and you can just like train and then you kind of recover and you eat and hang out. That's one thing. But when, you know, three hours of your day is spent during rehab just to ride your stupid bike. Ah, it's not worth it anymore, but I digress. Um, so I kind of, I had to make that decision around that Falmouth weekend, whether or not um, I was going to actually try for a world spot or not, uh, because tech, I needed to go to Texas. And um, so after kind of talking with Reland and the team and, and everything, uh, I just decided that like Texas was kind of like the last place I wanted to be at that time <laughs> for so many reasons. Um, and, uh, so I sat in it out and that was just kind of my, my play. And it was either, you know, if I did that, I was going to have to go to Europe and I, I just couldn't go to Europe this year. You know, I, I'm not, I love racing bikes. I love riding bikes. You know, I've always said that when I got to the point of, I was going to cross that line where I didn't like riding bikes anymore. I was going to call it. And I'm very much like one foot over that line. <laughs> and um, that's just, it's just a, uh, a deal breaker for me. So um, I decided Europe wasn't in. I don't want to go over there and just get, you know, 
fiftieth every day. That's just not where I'm at. I've I've, I've done that. I've you know I've, I've been on the pointy end ish, and uh, I liked the pointy end a lot better. So um, yeah, decided that nationals is going to be my last race, and I told no one. <laughs> <laughs> you know that wasn't like uh, pertinent at the time. So it was it was really interesting. Um, you know this team has really meant a lot to me and um you know we were kind of talking earlier about uh my my last team when i was on cannondale and you know it might not have been the perfect scenario all around but i i just i've enjoyed my time with both teams so much um with every every team that i've been on and um i really wanted to kind of go and just be at nationals to do it one last go have a you know clean ride i didn't train for three weeks leading into it by train i mean i didn't touch my bike for three weeks leading into it <laughs> so i knew what was going to happen uh i knew it was just gonna be a, a day where i like i i got the, the start out of the way i got myself out of the way and then uh and then just kind of rode my race and i just told myself i wanted to have some fun and i did i went out there and like as soon as I could like breathe again from the start, uh, I was, I had a smile on my face and it was like, it was a great time. I soaked it all in and I got to see people I wanted to see. And obviously like you probably saw from the other side of the parking lot, like I couldn't keep it together. Like I got on the trainer. I started crying. Every person I saw, I started crying. Everyone's like, what the hell's wrong with him? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I got on the start line and I was just like, I was just like tears down my face. I don't, I didn't tell a single person on that line. Uh, you know, I told most people after the race. So it was cool, man. I, I wanted to experience it again without that kind of pretext. And, um, you know, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Right. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't want like Scott and Julie up there every lap talking about how this was your last race ever while you're racing. Yeah. I wanted to experience it. Like I, you know, I, I don't know it, you know, when, when I was coming up and I was the underdog nationals was always the point where like you get the most support, right? When you're the underdog, that's just how it is. Like they want you so bad to dethrone whomever, or, you know, they just, we just love an underdog. And when I was kind of the, uh, I guess when I made it to like that, that top position where I was the guy to beat, you know, it was interesting to how much it flipped, you know, how it was like, we're in Reno, you know, it was like Tobin country. And, you know, it was always just like, you gotta beat Hyde. You know, that might've gotten in my head a little bit from time to time, but I really enjoyed that for the other people. Like I, I, it's just interesting to, you know, when, when you get to feel it, it's cool when it's got flipped on you. Right. You're just like, Hey, what the heck? But when you flip that and you're like, Oh, that must be really cool for them to experience. Yeah. It, yeah. And we've, we've talked about it a lot in the past, just about, you know, you, you even came onto the scene at the elite level, a little bit older than most, most people do in the sport. And you know, your whole career, yeah, was like scrappy underdog. And that's, you know, probably yeah. you'd go into like what you've done for your whole life. And then, and then to, to be that favorite has got to be, got to be a little bit of a crazy position. Yeah. It's super rough. Dude, I started this whole GL. My first bike race was a mountain bike race on a bike that I built out of the dumpster at the bike shop. Uh, 
I smoked a half a pack of cigarettes that day. And like, I won a camelback, which was great because I didn't own a water bottle gate or anything. You know, it was just like a total, it was a total disaster the way, the way it came into it. it. It's everything else has been exactly like that, but I've just kind of grown to enjoy bike racing more than those other uh, vices. Uh. <laughs> You listed a lot of factors that that went into this, but let's just just for a second, can we concentrate just on the 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 physical part of it? I mean, in the last what like four or five years, from the ribs mm-hmm. to everything else, and then the back eventually. I mean, what's where is it now? I mean, three hours of rehab. There, there's got to be something going on that's more than just I don't feel that great riding a bike. <laughs> yeah, this was going back a really long time. I mean, I started this train wreck of a body uh when i was relatively young i mean i've had i was just i was telling my wife about this today i've had knee pain in my left knee since i was in elementary school when i started running you know in elementary you know like fourth and fifth grade i decided i'm gonna run a lot and my knee hurt all the time my lower back hurt all the time and i didn't realize that these were really big issues but so um i've always had really tight hips you know i could even in school i could never sit like you know, with your legs crossed and stuff like that. Just, I, I could never do it. And you don't realize that is an issue. You know, you oh, you got tight hips, stretch, you know, whatever. I did yoga, I did all these things and saw PGs, but um, I just did a really long, long haul of progressive, aggressive <laughs> riding. And I never accommodated it. I never accommodated my body the way it needed to be accommodated. And I've been going to, you know, kind of putting all the pieces together. I've been going to some form of like PT or physical or, um, or body worker since I, you know, kind of started riding bikes and I've broken a lot of bones riding BMX a lot. I've had a lot of concussions more than one should have not in a funny way. Um, you know, my body's just a lot different and I've been through the ringer. Um, and that's before I got into bike racing and then I've had all the crashes racing, you know, then I've, uh, you know, broken the ankle and ribs and my sternum, um, and had these back issues. And, and now I've, I'm kind of left with two bulging, uh, discs, my L4 and L5. And that's, that's been a really big issue in the last couple of years. So one of the things that's actually gotten me through all this is finally, you know, I got to a point where I was comfortable with my bike fit, but a little bit too little too late. You know, I can kind of get through it and I can nurse it, but in the end, my body's just done. You know, it's, it's just tired, needs a break. And yeah, and like I said, like I, I don't want to be on the other side of not like bikes or being able to ride them. If I just have one bike for the rest of my life, but I can get out there and I can ride it and it doesn't involve clothes or anything, you know, any, any particulars. I'm happy with that. If I can have 20 bikes, I'm happy. But as long as I have them, I'm good to go. <laughs> but that's, but, but at the same point, it seems you still have a love for an investment in, in, in racing and, and wanting to see people succeed. I mean, that's, that's kind of the second half of, of this announcement that, that, came out that of your retirement is is that you're now moving into at least for world seeing you know helping mm-hmm. out the the u.s team yeah i mean 
look, I've, I've worked with some amazing coaches and mentors in my life. Um, just absolutely incredible people. And, and all that I, I still uh, am lucky enough to call my friends and, um, and still pick up the phone when I call them. And this whole kind of way has just, you know, this whole stretch of from starting to race bikes to now, you know, just, it's always just been my attitude to find the, the people around me that, you know, both I can care about and care about me, but also are helping me along the way, you know, um, I'm learning from, I, I just, I gravitate towards people that I can learn from and that are you know passionate about what they do. And with that has come some more responsibilities for me. I mean, when I started racing, I was on the jam fund. Um, and part of our kind of ethos on there was, was you're part of the team. You're part of the team. Like you, you help, you do everything, you know, from, from packing the vans to, I mean, when I started the first couple of years on that team was I was the mechanic. So I built the bikes for everybody. Um, I helped Aldi bike, bike fits on everything during the week. Uh, I maintained all of the bikes, rebuilt them. Um, I glued all the tires. And part of that process was, you know, year one was I built the bikes and I glued the tires and I did these things uh, without, you know, obviously. But, um, and the next year it was like, okay, cool. I'm going to teach everybody else how to build their bikes. You know, and we're going to talk about maintenance every week. We're going to, you guys are going to come here and we're all going to like go through the bikes and I'll do the bulk of it, but I want you to learn how to glue tires, how to do these things. And that's kind of where that started. And then it, it pushed to the technical side of things where I became more comfortable. You know, it was really easy for me to transfer over from BMX to mountain biking, to road biking, to fixed gear riding, to whatever it was, cyclocross, you know, I've already, um, I've, I've already been doing something that doesn't make any sense forever. So I might as well just do <laughs> ride another bike. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I loved, loved, really just got off on that idea that it was very community-based and, and everything we did, we could do together. And it didn't matter who you were, what your skill level was. We could find an appropriate level for you to start at, to try something new, to push yourself. Um, and so from there, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of guidance. I did a lot of the camps and stuff like that. Um, cycle smart camps and, and stuff in the area. And I just, I love it. I, I love interacting with people. Um, I love not just teaching, but figuring out how to teach. Like, I think that's part of it for me. It's not the teaching part. It's the like, it's not, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, for me, it's it just, it's another skill that I'm like, I'm trying to develop. I'm trying to learn how to, to speak to people and to, to kind of, transfer what i have in my head or you know my abilities to other people um and that you know and before before jam even i did uh free repair clinics you know i had a, a cargo bike and i rode around to different venues and whether it was other bike shops or uh um, the co-op or the community centers whatever i just love teaching that so it's all kind of like rounding itself out and then when i when i joined cannondale you know, part of my process there was like, okay, I've done the, the racing and had some good results while doing all of this stuff. What if I took away all the other stuff and just did the racing part? And I just kept going with that. You know, it was like, okay, cool. Now, now I'm just going to learn from whoever is in front of me uh, in the trailer, you know, whether it was Stu or, uh, or any of the mechanics, you know, Mike or, or Gary, 
um, or Ronnie or, or whomever, um, any other writers. Um, and I, I kind of tried to like pursue that same, uh, style of like mentorship through that program it just never really kind of worked out the same and and maybe it was just like self uh i don't know maybe i was just doing it myself maybe it wasn't just like the, the right time with a certain athletes you know we all get along really well but everybody's just kind of got their their own own thing when it comes to their their performance um but i learned a lot just in that process just reaching out to people or asking or um you know, it kind of, it served me really well going to Europe and just being able to talk to guys over there and, and ask things and start conversations and become friends and go to training camps. And, you know, it, it all just kind of like, uh, it all has really worked out really well in that regard. I think we were all, I think we were all blown away when you were like, oh, here, here, I'm hanging out with my new friend, Wout, and we're, uh, we're training <laughs> together. Yeah, I was surprised to me. I mean, I was like, yeah, this guy's cool. We talk all the time. This is great. Awesome. He was like, hey, you want to go to Calpe? Absolutely. <laughs> that sounds amazing. You know, that was one of those instances where he was like, cool, what do you have to, what are you doing for training? I was like, whatever you're doing. <laughs> let's just, let's roll this, you know. I mean, hell, I, I learned to eat on that trip, you know, like little me trying to just like diet all the time and not eat any food and being you know, hypoglycemic and all these, just all these having, uh, panic attacks and all this stuff. And I see this guy just like plowing food in and I'm struggling and I doubled my intake around rides and that was some of the best performance I've ever had, you know, out of that. And it's really changed my life. That one week, you know, changed my entire career. Just kind of would have been, yeah, timing is everything, I guess. Um, yeah, so you know, just pulling that over to to the kind of we'll call it the furlough over <laughs> over uh, <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic, which I I didn't have any job, you know, I got like open uh, Cannondale and um, I started my own coaching company. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be a coach, um, or at least that's just kind of led me down that path. And it was a little bit. Uh, it felt a little bit premature, but I kept it pretty limited, just a couple of clients. And um, it was just such a good experience. It is, has been such a good experience. Um, I still maintain these clients and some of them, and um, I actually been hired on a few more and kind of seeing where that's going to go, whether I want to do this on my own or with other people, you know, other, other groups or whatever. I've had people have been really generous. Um, you know, lots of different coaching groups have, have reached out or other coaches or um, just teams, people, you know, gauging my interest in, in what what they're doing and what's in the future. And yeah, all but one. I'll, I'll leave that name out, but <laughs> everyone's been great, but one person. <laughs> well, one of the things, I mean, getting it more to the, the, the coaching aspect, one of the things that I would always see you doing, and I know that other more veteran riders would do this, but I thought you were always the one that stuck out and was just sessioning features, but not on your own, bringing other people in. And, and, you know, this year with Ray Lynn in the past with other Cannondale riders and say, Hey, let's go work on this section of the course. It seems let's, and, and you were always the guy that seemed willing to do that even 
after you had it dialed in. And I, I know part of that isn't altruistic, that you're still getting something out of it watching somebody else do it. But at the same time, you're taking away from your time. And that's, it, it reminded me of what I loved about being at European World Cup mountain bike races is that you would get usually this ex-pro coach who could still ride everything. And he was the one that taking these just green juniors through it and go, guys, it's not that bad. We're just going to drop off this rock. And then he'd do it. And yeah. then he'd sit there with everybody and work their way through it. And, you know, and it yeah. was just that, that having that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just having that talent available and that, that, that person who was not like so above it all that they were willing to help out. And that's, that's really honestly, when I do my course walks or whatever else, and I'd see you doing that, I, I, I just loved it. Cause that's the kind of like mentorship that I think's really meaningful. It's not just go out and ride these intervals. It's like, Hey, let's go figure out how to ride this feature. And, and that's the kind of stuff that was really cool. Yeah. Well, it's something I really enjoy. And I, it's, you know, for me, it's not really, I guess this is depending on the day, but of my stress levels, but you know, it's not enough just to go to the races, you know, I like to be part of them too. Um, and I, I like to, I, I feel like as racers, you know, there's just not, there's not enough good information. Out. There's a lot of information. There's not necessarily the amount of excellent information that we want out there. And I'm not saying I have excellent information. Some of the information that I have or some, something that I, you know, could portray to somebody may be helpful. It may totally not be helpful. And that's one thing that I've learned over time is that, yeah, not everything that I have to say is going to be helpful for this person. And so part of that, part of the idea of, of going out and if anybody asks me to help them with something, or if I see something and I see somebody willing to take, you know, um, some advice, which sometimes you just bite your tongue and they don't, they don't want it. <laughs> That's fine. Is that I might learn something too. You know, it's, I might have something dialed um, for me and I might have my line and I might do something, you know, somebody might ask me, um, you know, somebody from the women's race might ask me like one of my teammates or something like that. It might ask me to you know, do some sort of feature. And I might say, this is the line that I would do and realize that, uh, they're not going to be able to do that for whatever reason. And um, so it, it makes my brain do something different of like, oh, is there something else though? Think slower. Think this. You know, think about this approach rather. And quite often it's come to a point where I've been like, oh, there's a whole other line over here I didn't even look at. Like, what if I'm, what if I'm not going this fast? What if it's not the perfect entry? You know, can you have that second, that, that backup? And so in that, you know, so part of the, the process isn't just like, hey, here's the line. This is how you do it. It's more of like, hey, individual, what is your process for figuring this out? You know, here's mine. I'm never going out and just saying like, here's the line. This is how you do it. I'm saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, I watched this person do this. This is what it made me think of. Um, this is my feeling about it. Oh, I, I'm uncomfortable with it or I feel really comfortable with it. There might be two or three different speeds we might come into this at any given time. So what's the backup plan? And it just being analytical about it helps me process it. And you get to connect with somebody. You might meet somebody that you've never met and they might come up later and, and thank you and hang out or whatever. Or, you know, it's been like people come up and they're like, Hey, 
six years ago, you talked to my son, who was eight. And we remember every word you said, and it was amazing, and still fans. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, cool. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's also that that's also something that I I I, I admire, I, I actually love and, and laugh about with with you. And honestly, I mean, you guys are different people, but I put powers in there in the same yeah. category <laughs> in that if you just ask a cycle American cyclocross fan who isn't like totally into it and they and you bring up you know, you and Powers, and they're like, oh, they're these just kind of these fun-loving, goofball kind of guys always out there joking around and, you know, and this and that. And if you're seeing it a little closer, you realize these are two of the most intense people I've ever met in my life who that once they step behind, you know, that sort of curtain of, of, of their tent, you don't, you know, you just know to stay clear because it's game time and it's just a whole different person, but just that ability, you didn't, you didn't bring that into the outside world, you know, and powers didn't either powers like, woo, yeah, you know, but then, yeah. you know, you know, I'm on a different level and it's like, oh, this isn't that guy really at all. I mean, it's nothing, yeah. it's not disingenuous. It's just that, sure. that I, I thought both of you were really, really good at being able to have a public facing personality that was really welcoming. And that brought in those fans, you know, even mm -hmm. when you were like, Oh, people are against me now. Everybody was still like, you know, it wasn't like yeah. it was, it was Stephen Hyde villain. I mean, everybody was still cheering for you, but yeah, it's always fun cheering for an underdog too. Yeah. What happens in the race is, is so different than outside of the race. And you really have to like, you know, I've learned over the years that like, you're allowed to be two different people and you all, you have to be two different people when it comes to elite athletics like that. Like, I, you know, Powers, for example, Powers and I's relationship has been so interesting through this whole thing. And I still count him as a friend. You know, we don't talk as much anymore. Um, I still count him as such a close friend, such a good, good close friend. And, um, you know, our relationship before when I was on Jam, you know, he was imparting what knowledge he could for me because it was like, okay, you get to a certain point on Jam and it's the kick up to Powers. You know, it was like you're on the Devo program and then. Once you're knocking on the door, okay, you need extra help. So here's the guy. You know, once you can train with him, you can do that. And it was a really interesting kind of pipeline to have. And I think that's why there were so many good athletes through there at the time. Um, but our relationship had to grow really quickly because I was knocking on his door really fast. And I was so eager and I was so excited. And I was just so uh, kind of unable to control my uh thirst to like just smash him like that's all i could think about you know we would say anything we'd have conversations he'd be like bro that's not you know hey, i grew up with three older brothers you know i was the youngest and so like my level of smack talk is much different than his <laughs> and uh so we got it right up on that you know a couple of times we're just like bro you gotta chill i'm like that's fine that's fine we're gonna kill each other it's, it's totally cool no 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 we can't no it's, it's not fine but you know, once we like, once we got on the start line, we never talked. Look over, he'd be down looking at his bars. I'm uh, saying something stupid, and like we bump some fists, and that's it. Same thing with Curtis. Dead serious, super nice guy. We don't talk to anybody. Very calm, relaxed. Look at him on the start line. Can't take his eyes off the ground. You know, just that, it's just 
Yeah, it's just different people. I got this photo of both of y'all like fist bumping and kind of like goofing at the start line at Asheville. And it, I was like, yeah. this this is a rarity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It, it was, you know, but again, like we, we, Powers and I always had this thing. And then, and later Curtis and I too, because we're teammates, you know, it was always like, hey, let's get rid of everybody and then we race. You know, like we're teammates until we're not anymore. And Eddie Powers and I had that really well because we we trained together. We were very similar riders. Um, he just had so such a depth of experience that I just really didn't have. And so I, I literally was like, I have to be next to him no matter what because I have to learn from him. Who else am I going to learn from? He's the guy. Um, and so my my style was very similar to his, et cetera. And, um, but again. Once we got rid of everybody else, it was a knife fight. You know, we never hurt each other, never hit each other, or anything like that. I think the closest we came to total annihilation was was uh, Reno when I made that last fatal pass. Um, you know, amazing race though. That was so much oh. fun. It was just good yeah. racing. It was good. It was for for again from my perspective and for me growing up with the generation, you know, following the generation above you that powers came into where it was, it was a lot more cutthroat. I mean, it was a lot more rough and tumble. Yeah. There were people sort of, there was a lot more chopping, a lot more pushing, a lot more shoving and not, not as many friends out there. So finally, when we got to that Reno race and it was like hiding powers and it's like, Oh, the, you know, it's it's uh you know it's the real world now and uh, yeah. we're not being that nice anymore. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I mean that was such a fun yeah. race. It was. It was super tactical, super tactical. Both of us had just our own things going into it where we were like kind of guarded on certain things and um, you know you just you you kind of learn your you learn your opponent's strengths and weaknesses and moves and their body language and and everything and. Um, just like you learn a friend outside of that, you know, just like you learn how your friend is, is actually doing no matter what they say, you know, it's the same. There's a bluff in the racing and you could say you're doing all right, but you're not doing all right. I can see it. (laughs) All right. Unfair question to ask based on that same Uh conversation. Fourth championship. Does that, do you think about that? I do. I mean, that was on, it's, I haven't even erased it yet, but that was on my goal board. Uh, you know, my handy goal board I've had since day one. Uh, my little chalkboard down in the basement. Um, and it was number four. And I, you know, that, I, I'm not going to say that one's going to haunt me because maybe six months ago I would have said, oh, fuck, I really want to get that one. Like, it really matters to me. But it doesn't, it doesn't. It would have been cool. But in perspective, I'm so happy with what I've done. You know, even though I'd never would have won any championships, um, I'd still be really happy with my my career and, and what's come of it. You know, I, titles aren't everything. You know, it got it got me jobs year after year for sure. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not dumb, but um, I don't know. I had just as hard of a time with my life. <laughs> with them as <laughs> I probably would have without them. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I won't throw the board away. <laughs> All 
Wait, hang on, hang on. Does that mean? Does that mean there's a comeback? Like, am I going to be talking to you like in two years? Yeah, Masters racing. <laughs> I'm coming for Jake Wells. <laughs> do you have any interest in that? Yeah, I do. I want to race. I want to race still. Um, I'm still. Uh, I'm still in the registered testing pool, so I actually do have to retire uh, and and at least you know not race sanctioned races for six months to do it. And that in one way, I'm like, am I going to be able to do that? The other part of me is just like, dude, just do it. You need to take a break. You know, you don't, what, what are you going to, what are you going to do? You're going to like train this March in the worst weather ever and go try to race some like local road races. That's not going to be fun. So I, I am, I'm going to just, I'm going to take that time off and um, yeah, I'll definitely race again. I love bike racing. Do you, do you see yourself doing, I mean, this is sort of the, the, what we're supposed to assume quote retired professional racers do now what's the what's the gravel schedule look like yeah i don't know about that i <laughs> I, I enjoy gravel racing. look I, i've been doing gravel racing for a really long time you know we used to go down to uh southern cross in georgia um years ago i took a train down there from dc to to do it and um so much fun rougeur bay I and mean, i'm not gonna call that a gravel race but it certainly could be um and I grew up riding just dirt clay roads all the time, you know. So I got into cyclocross. I was like, wait, they make a bike for this? That's amazing. I can stop ruining mine. Um, and so it's something I enjoy. It's not something I want to be a professional at, though. I'm going to be very clear about that. I, I just, I, I don't see it's, uh, let me be really critical here. I think it's wonderful that we have a, an opportunity to race bikes and that the industry and other people are excited about it in any capacity. I think we have to be thankful for that and looking at the landscape that we have in, in our bike racing right now, whether it's road or cyclocross or mountain races are going away. They're disappearing. You know, it's, we don't necessarily have the choice to say what races we want right now. I mean, there's some, some change. There's some, you know, people are doing different things. I mean, I have a feeling that, that Legion may very well uh, change the way we look at, at that crit racing um, in the next decade or so, you know, stuff like that. I think people are going to really put some, some energy into it. And as long as people are excited to get out and do gravel racing, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a, it's a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful way to spend a day on a bike. Um, do I wish that there were other options to become a professional bike racer right now? Absolutely. I don't think it's doing a service uh to many of the professional athletes um or or athletes that are trying to, to make a profession out of this you know like people can't live off of you know whatever free alcoholic non-alcoholic beer sponsorships um you still got to make money at some point and and there's a there's a component to it where you know it's supposed to be this grassroots thing yet all the best athletes are coming down out of the world tour they're not coming up from um, the grassroots and so we're, we're going to struggle with that for a long time but it's also just not you know racing for six seven ten hours is just it's never been my thing and i i don't I've, I've said that from day one people have thought i was kidding about it but you know everybody wanted me to go do the um unbound 200 and you know i did the 100 i won that that's great i'm fine you know no i have no problem with that you want to you want to say that i did the baby race like cool it was hard <laughs> you know my my prediction has always been for that to become an event that gets you know 
really televised and really broadcast is not going to be the 200. It's going to be the 100 because you can't keep a, keep eyeballs on it for for that long. Yeah, unless they get it under six hours. I mean, you know, it's possible you get a real peloton over there. You know, they can really move. I mean, saw what they did this last time. I mean, that that was insane. That was insane racing. But look who's winning it, you know, and look who's look who's not. Um, and it's a hard discipline to, to train for, right? Like, it's not cyclocross where you go, you can train in the middle of the week and go do that. Like, you can't just go out for eight hours at a time uh, every day and work a job, you know? Oh, yeah. No, the, the dedication I see of people who are just doing it to do, they just want to do unbound to do unbound is like crazy the amount yeah. of time and hours. And that's just to say, I did it. Um, yeah. So sure. I guess that, that sort of begs the question as well. Um, what. No, I said that wrong. Somebody's going to get mad at me. It doesn't beg the question. <laughs> because that raises the question. Uh, your involvement with Steve Tilford Foundation team. I mean, with this announcement, is that, or do you have anything to do with that organization or that team anymore? Or is that just it? Well, so um, right now, as it sits, my current, my, my contract is up after, uh, my contract is up in February. Um, so that being said, we're still discussing what that may look like. Um, I love the program. I love the team. I love everything to do with it. I love everyone involved. It's a, it's an amazing thing. I've had so much fun. Um, I can see a real future with that program, not necessarily just for myself. Um, I'd love to be part of it. Um, if they go a different direction, um, you know, I, I think they're a little unclear as to what the direction is at the moment. Um, I know that they're going to have a good team. They're going to have good support. Um, it just kind of depends on what they want to do with, um, you know, allocating, uh, resources and stuff like that. I, I think I have a lot to offer to it. I'd love to be, be of use. Um, love Raylan. She's incredible. The work she's done with that, that program is just an absolutely, um, unreal. So anyway, I can, you know, and I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, uh, dedicated to her racing as well. You know, I think part of that mentorship that we didn't really talk about was been this last, last two years of that team. Um, and, uh, one year of racing, but we had another whole other year where we, uh, you know, we're technically a team. Um, and you know, what I've seen her do and in a very short period of time is pretty incredible. Um, and I think she has a future, you know, in the sport, not just in her athletics, but the way she, she runs her team and the way she treats people and within the program, within the, the sport, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and so I, I'd ha- be happily be part of anything she does moving in, in the future. But all that being said, I don't have a big question mark. Yeah. No, she hustles. Yeah. I mean, we need, we need more people like that in the sport in the best way. I love it. I love, I love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But part of me is like, I don't know, how much do I want to be on the road? You know, I've done this for 10 years now or whatever, you know, I was, you know, I've been getting paid to do it for that long, but before that I was on the road forever. You know, I'm a bit of a homebody now. Um, so who knows? You know, I've got a nine month old. I love spending time with her. That's hard. It's hard to leave. And, um, with all the pandemic stuff, I mean, it's not, it hasn't been easy to just get on the road and get out and, and go do stuff. I know a lot of people seem to just be acting like things are normal, but 
they're not, and they're you know they're affecting a lot of people in in different ways. And and I was just saying this the other day, where like pandemic hit, you know, I lost my my contract with Cannondale, and they didn't renew it. I should say that, and um, I was super lost. Didn't really know what to do. But I was still like, I had plans. I had that goal board. I put my head down. I worked, right? So it didn't really affect me in the way, you know, I don't go to work. I don't go in somewhere. You know, I'm already working from home. So everything I do is wrong. It really didn't shift that much for me. It really started to hit later this year, you know, especially once we had Georgia. And that's when it really started to kind of affect me more in the way of like, oh, I run the risk of like bringing a, uh, a virus home to my child my unprotected child, you know, it's, it's terrifying. We don't, we don't even like going to the grocery store, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I think <laughs> it's, it's absolutely right. And we're going to see it next week and, or this week in, in, in Fayetteville. And yeah, I, uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 and, and, and there's, there's always that same, drama and people are stressed out about this aspect of world and this aspect of world. I, I just personally, I'm just like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the work. I know I have to do the work. Is it going to be like the greatest worlds ever? No, it probably won't. Cause we're still, you know, in under this, this cloud of this, this horrible place that we're in, in the, the world, but it's, it's, it's an event that can take place and it's an event that can take place safely as long as everybody is smart, but you know, we're not gonna be out partying, <laughs> do our stuff yeah, and right. get it done, and yeah. go on our way and hope that you know next year it's 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 better. Um, yeah, let's hope so. So let's get a little nostalgic. Uh, Always, yeah. So now that now that your professional racing is done, not favorite win, but just just favorite cyclocross race. Is there one, or is it more than one? I'm sure Man. it's more than one, but what for the for the for the sake of this exercise? For the sake of this exercise, okay, I've got a couple, and they're very similar. You'll point out the similarities right off the bat, I bet. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say three non-wins that were huge wins for me. One being uh, tenth at. Um, spa, the super prestigious spa. Uh, it was icy, super icy. It was wonderful. And I just, I couldn't believe it. Um, the other one would be my 11th at, uh, uh, at Nauman. Uh, and the third being, uh, my 15th at Valkenburg. All very similar course profiles, all like you know, quote the hardest race ever. <laughs> um, and I, I was able to like, I, I just the thing that I remember is like it just coming together, and me both. There's a there uh, both both like really having a focus and like having a little bit of fun, but also going really deep. There's just so few times when you're able to feel like you have just an endless depth to go into. And like you're, you're just, you know, you're going, you're doing everything right and you're pushing really hard 
you do feel like you have a couple extra pedal strokes in you and you can actually do it. There's a lot of times where you don't, where you feel like there's extra pedal strokes and you can't get them out. And there's a lot of times where you're like riding really well, but you're not going fast or going fast, but you're not going very, or you're not driving very well, or you're doing all of it. And you're not having fun. It's very rare. All those things come together. <laughs> so like just taking out of those, that Namor race, did you say Namor yeah. in there? Yeah, yeah. 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 That was 2017. Yeah, it was my best year. For yeah, sure. and the great the the thing is like we always talk about the youth movement in in men's cyclocross. You were like the oldest guy by like six years in yeah. the top twenty of that race. Yeah, that's. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk. You know, age is a weird thing to talk about in these <laughs> in these things. You know, in competition, but I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like yeah, I loved it. You know, I've always had a chip on my shoulder about how late I started. Oh, someone's gonna know? call me out. Hang on, Kevin Powell's was in that race. He was thirty. He was he was three years older than you. Uh, He's bless his heart. <laughs> bless that. You know, all right. Funny anecdote. The, a couple of years ago, I was riding at uh, at Trek, and uh, Tom Muse and, and I were uh, worried or. I think it was maybe a pre-ride day or something like that. We were out. We were just like, hey, let's go for a spin. We rode out. He's a buddy of mine. He's great. And um, we were riding. And, uh, you know, I was talking about my, my body and my back. I think this this was the year that I broke my, my stereo. So it was before the race and everything. We were riding out. And uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, you've been racing for a long time. Like, dude, I used to watch you on youtube like i'd watch youtube races before we ever you know i knew i even had a cyclocross bike you know whatever uh and i was like how how old are you anyways and i was you know i was in my 30s or i don't even remember what was like 31 or something like that and he was like oh, yeah, i am 28 you know i've been doing this for a long time and i was like wait hang on a second <laughs> i've been watching you since before i started racing and you're you're like three years younger than me i just <laughs> i thought you were like i was like oh tom's older than me he's been doing this for a lot longer oh man <laughs> it totally blew a lot i do like i do like that the 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 examples that you gave and i think it's an interesting commentary on on world cyclocross all european races all yeah, yeah i can you know i can honestly i could probably throw jingle cross into that too uh i had a tenth there and I, I think it was very similar. Like I just had a good race. I, I did everything right. And it all came together. Um, very similar course profile. Right. Um, I think I, I really had my niche there. Although I had some, I had some good rides at some flat mutters too, that especially that year. Um, uh, you know, top 15 and a couple of super procedures is any bad. Um, yeah. No, that was, it was fun when you, I mean, and that's, it seemed like, we always talk about it and it's like, what's the way to succeed, but you kind of relocated for that. What was it like a three month period? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I overstayed that three months every year for like four years. Yeah. You know, because I would go to Spain. Right. And I would go do that and then go back. And yeah, I was been three months in Belgium alone or, you know, the Netherlands. But, I was there and no one else was there. But the other thing that you did is that, you know, in, in later years when you were, married but even before that it's like you had friends there you had people that you're hanging out you were doing these trips yeah. like it wasn't just yeah. all bike racing which i think is there, there's a lesson to be learned from that yeah absolutely absolutely i mean you gotta like you gotta if you're gonna implant yourself i mean I've, we've seen it so many times is that riders go over there and you think you can just isolate yourself and be insular and 
and be able to survive it. But the reality is like, you, you gotta have friends. You gotta have people, you know, you gotta have an outlet of some sort. You go crazy. And it's, it's, it's a really, like, I think for a long time, people have had this like horrific image of going to Europe, you know, I think a lot of I'll, it's cleared up a bit because people have gone over there, like basically like their vacation time, you know, like in amateurs have started to go over and um, and have fun doing it, you know. But in the past, when the only option was just kind of like go solo to stay in Isigam or you know stay in Sitard and you know up on up on the hill and um, be so isolated and it's so dark and scary and all this stuff, like. Spend your time thinking about that, and you're just here to go insane. And I've seen dozens of athletes crack, dozens and dozens and dozens of athletes crack under that that circumstance. But when you go over there, and you start to kind of inject yourself into the the community, and you you just get a friend, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, I got hooked up with a massage therapist over there, Javier. Awesome guy. Yeah, now he works for the Dutch Federation and he's just right around the corner. And it was just enough to like go over there and like eat dinner with him and his wife, uh, you know, get a massage, hang out, play music. You know, he's a wonderful musician, super sweet guy. You know, uh, we talk all the time. Such a such a huge thing. And um being able to hook up with people and ride, um, people in the area or drive out, you know, just just to have that invite to go is is good enough uh for me. I think the big thing that changed really was that I started to just really focus on being there and like absorbing the culture and absorbing um, everything. I mean, when I started to get into like birding and stuff like that, like I would just get up early and I would go for a walk and it was wonderful. All of a sudden I went from being this like isolated place where like I'm not around town to being exactly where I want to be, which is kind of away from town um in this beautiful quiet place with all these people walking around the woods and stuff it was really neat so it can be dark and gloomy or it can be adventurous and and cool and it i say all that because it changes the way you perceive the racing too when you go over and there's a language barrier and you can't read the signage and you don't know what's going on and you don't like the food at the grocery store it's difficult and i've seen a lot of people just have that chip on their shoulder going to Europe, you know? And I think, you know, for, for what it's worth, I inherited a lot of that anxiety and angst from the people that I was around originally um, who did go to Europe, but also hated going to Europe for a lot of different reasons. I inherited a lot of that right off the bat and it made the initial entry into Europe really difficult because I had never left the country before bike racing, you know, I went to Canada for the first time bike racing, I went to Europe for the first time bike racing, etc. And I, the first trip I even did to Europe was completely on my own. I went to Isigam to stay with uh, Noel Nails, except for no one was there at all. It was a brand new building after the old one burned down. I was the first person to stay there at all. It tore Hushab's retirement party next door, and that was it. So I'm like unwrapping all the plastic stuff. I literally didn't see anybody for a week when I was there, except for my, my old teammate. And I have a phone. Internet didn't work. Uh, all I did was ride my bike without a map and come back and wash my bike and walk to the uh, 
baker, you know. And that was hard, you know, just like going to getting picked up by the mechanic on Friday, on you know, Saturday morning, or whatever, going to the race, and then not seeing anybody until the next week. Having all these kind of preconceptions of what it's like, you just shut down. You don't explore. You don't do anything. Um, it's just it's just really interesting how how much that that changed over time to to the point where I was like, oh, Spain is like my Malaga is like my third home. <laughs> you know, it's like Spain, it's Malaga, Sittard, uh, East Hampton. You know, and break up my year like that. So we did a uh, favorite results. I guess it's it's only only yeah. proper then to. I'm guessing moving stateside and let's, uh, you know, favorite, favorite victories. Oof. Well, I mean, I, I thoroughly had to fight to the nail for every one of my, uh, championship races. Um, there were no givens on those and I love that, you know, there's probably the least memorable races for me are the ones where, you know, I just had, I was just better on that day, you know, I rode away whatever that was. Um, and there were a lot of those, especially that 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, but, um, I still remember, uh, Charm City where I won against the then national champion, John Page. Um, very similar duel to Jeremy and I, um, we went neck and neck straight out of fence <laughs> And he had his brakes, uh, you know, and I came out on, on that and man, I was just like high off of that, you know, just, it was such a wild experience. That, that, that was one of maybe the last races I actually announced and oh, yeah. had to be one of the all time greatest moments just to be able to like call that race, especially when you guys were going through that sand pit and going over the, 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 the tree planter that no longer exists when we're racing on that side of the street Ugh. and going down the hill. Holy <laughs> cow. Just trying to keep it together for myself was just amazing. Yeah. Such, yeah. such a great race. Dude, that was such a good race. That was such, uh, such a night fight. And man, I think about Paige a lot. You know, we don't really talk very much. Um, I probably haven't talked to him in a long time, but, uh, I just, I soaked up everything I could from that guy, you know, he might not have realized how much he was teaching me at the time, but, um, man, what a good racer, you know, just what an incredible guy. And, uh, it was, it was great having him while, uh, I was racing, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of amazing athletes that I really looked up to for a long time. And, um, eventually got to race with and against, you know, and it was really, really cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, eventually they all kind of slowly went the way they did. And, um, the thing I loved about Paige in those days was if you ever went up and like asked to see his bike and you lift it up and he's got like the, you know, like, I don't know if it was Sora or whatever it is. It's just like yeah. the heaviest stuff. And like the oldest stuff that's been on that bike forever. And he just, he was like, it didn't, it didn't bother him. It was like, he wasn't, wasn't yeah. worried about it. He just went out there and just crushed. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing him in Obadiah. First time I did that race, which is insane. One of my favorite races ever. Um, pulled up his camper, like 
we're pre-riding and he drove up all his kids, Corey, everybody jamming around in that thing. And he's pulling his bikes out. He just drove straight up, parked wherever the hell he wanted to. There's no parking spaces left. He's literally just parked in the middle of everything. All this stuff is just, there's four bikes laying on the ground, bike bags, wheel bags everywhere. And he's just like, he's dressing and like his kids running around and he's like pumping up his tire. He's like putting a shoe on at the same time. And he pops up and he's just like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. He, had a good race. he was tough as team too. Amazing. Unreal. All right. We are, we are just at about an hour, but I, I, I would be remiss to, to not, this is there, there's going to be a very small population of of people listening to this who are going to um, get anything out of this uh, question, yeah. but t- tell me about the cameras. Just the oh, deep gosh. dive. I mean, we were talking before. <laughs> we were talking the other day, and you were and and just the this this world of of film cameras that you have now. I remember when you were like, "Oh, I'm into birding." I got this this yeah. uh, this Sony this uh, DSLR. It's awesome. I'm sticking it out my kitchen window, and it's cool. Look at these like okay photos that I'm taking. Yeah. And now you are just like so deep. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No. Well, thanks for outing me. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I am. I think thanks to therapy, uh, I'm I'm not uh, in line for a divorce yet, but it probably came close. I kind of went deep diving, uh, you know, so <laughs> I have an interesting history with photography in the way of when I first started writing BMX, I kind of like any like BMX writer or skateboarder, your medium is like the magazine and the video and stuff. And you start just looking at pictures and that's, that's one thing you don't ever really put two and two together. Like somebody took that picture. And then you start meeting, you know, your amateur photographers that you're hanging out with, you know, and, and pretty much half of everybody that rode a bike or skateboard took a picture at some point or another, you know, and we started with Polaroids and I happened to have some like really talented, I just, just kind of landed in the right spot. You know, there was this guy, Mike Brody, um, who kind of became super famous in the art world with, um, his documentation of like train hopping kids and, and punks and, um, did this whole thing with Polaroids a long time ago. And, um, uh, this guy, Evan Butts, who, you know, was just kind of like my good friend, you know, these guys, I just rode with all the time and they, they both got into the photography thing. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy is so cool. I also want to do that. Um, my uncle gave me a camera, well, uh, Minolta SRT 201, I think. And, uh, and then I ended up like, I loved it. I had, had my little Polaroid and I bought a, a Veronica ETRSI from, from Evan. And that was my first medium format camera. And I just started getting really into it. And then it all got ripped off. Uh, at this jam we went to in, uh, um, in Louisiana and Baton Rouge. And, you know, this is like, whatever, 17 year old, 18 year old hide getting, you know, wasted at a mini ramp jam sesh and sleeping on the ramp and waking up and all my stuff is gone. Um, and I just, I never got another camera. That was it. It was like around that time, you know, probably 18 or so. And never got another one and just never really, I always liked it. I've always been intrigued by it. 
I've always been intrigued by gear and stuff and tinkering with things. And, um, but I just never really got the kind of like artistic bug to, to pick it back up and then, um, and to learn, you know, it was kind of embarrassed. I never really learned to use the camera. I had them, but I never really used them. And so then I got into bike racing and lo and behold, what's the pair? photographers and bike riders you know <laughs> if you do something that could be a, a visual contrast to, to reality then they're going to photograph it so i've just found my way around so many wonderful photographers so many just really talented people and in true fashion you know i kind of go after people that i find interesting that have knowledge in some regard and you know i've been lucky to call so many of them my friends and just be able to learn and having some really good, good close friends that are just wonderful artists and watching them has given me a lot of like inspiration. So in this time where I kind of wanted to start doing something that kind of connected me with nature more and got into birding and yeah, I was like, yeah, this will be fun. I'll pick this up and I'll get a big lens and shoot some birds. That'll be great. And then I got, and I was like, well, the 6300 is cool, but you know, I'm totally giant lenses around. Yeah, I kind of like this, so maybe I need a mirror or you know, I need a full frame mirror lens. And I upgraded, and then, then I got another one, a little, uh, and I was like, well, I want something small I can carry around with me. You know, the 6300 is just a little too big, so I got a GR3, and that thing's great. And I started playing around much more with Lightroom and a lot of my kind of inspiration comes from like skateboard and, and, and BMX photography. And I just remember the colors and the hues and, and everything that kind of the, that really made that time period pop for me. And I started thinking, Oh, how do you get this? I'm like, how, why doesn't it look the same? And I'm like, Oh, you got to put these filter things on it. And then I'm like, Oh, then you adjust these things. And I'm like, we, all of this is just to make it look like film. Oh, so <laughs> I picked up a film camera. I found a, a Canon A1 uh, on Craigslist and I went and picked it up. And I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to learn how to really use this thing. I've been teaching myself, you know, from either asking friends or being on YouTube or reading uh, about how to use the digital camera. But I'm still a little confused on some things. And so when I got that, that, you know, 35 millimeter SLR, I was like, oh, this is much more pared down. And I was able to learn a whole lot more of it. So then I got into that. And then I, you know, started just finding cameras. Once I get into something, I start finding things and it's not good. But um, but here I am. I've got my original kit back. I've got an SRT202 and a Bronica ETRS and a couple of lenses. And I've got... Uh, an Olympus OM1 that I really love, um, an A1 that I really love, all in just like mint condition. Um, I've got a bunch, I've tons, and I just picked up a. Uh, I was like, you know what? Maybe I want to. I want to uh, autofocus SLR. I found a Elon Seven, an EOS Elon Seven. It's a great camera uh, for very cheap, and I've just been like kind of tinkering with it, like I have bikes. And I found that I kind of like taking little screws apart and trying to fix things. So I've been finding old rangefinders, and I taught myself how to 
solder and, uh, you know, doing all the weird battery conversions and all these things and learning how to clean glass and how to not mess up glass. And there's a, this awesome um, photo thrift store in Burlington, Vermont, the Vermont Center for Photography. And they've just got bins and bins and bins of stuff. Broken cameras. It's all good in there. I'll spend five bucks on a broken camera, bring it home, YouTube some stuff or read about people fixing it, go in. It's five bucks. You know, I could buy some small screwdrivers. If I can make this work, I'll be super happy. And if I don't, that's five bucks. <laughs> um, so it's been really fun. And now I have way too many cameras. <laughs> I'm looking at like, 17 or 18 oh now God. i've got all these point and shoots i've got a freezer downstairs full of film um i've got a, a cinestill uh developing kit coming for color in black and white and i'm learning to shoot and scan or you know dslr scan my my negatives and got all that stuff so it's just really fun it's yeah. a deep dive into technique and it's the same thing. I just, I get to meet all these people that do it. They're super happy to share it. And it's just a really good outlet where my body can't really do the thing that I want to spend all my time doing anymore. And I got to do something. I'm not somebody who can just sit around. That's just, I'm, I go insane. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So I guess that closing question then, what, yeah cameras are you bringing to worlds with you? not not necessarily just to shoot i know you don't you're not interested in like shooting bikes and that's fine but you know it's it's arkansas <laughs> there's a lot going on there yeah yeah i love a good photo walk and i i also love kind of just having a camera on me shooting people so i actually i have this uh list compiling here so what i'm bringing is uh i'm gonna bring my elon uh i'm gonna bring about 30 rolls of film um I'm going to bring uh, two point and shoots. Um, I'm going to bring a little Canon Auto Boy, and I'm going to bring. Um, I'm actually going to bring three point and shoots because I have a plan for one. This old Pentax uh, that I'm going to load with film, and I'm going to hand to somebody, and just have them take pictures. Nice. Uh, I'm going to bring a couple of rolls of film just for that, some some Fuji color film, uh, and just hand it to people and say like, "Hey, go fucking waste this roll." Um, and uh, uh, Another little Olympus point and shoot that I'll bring too. Um, and then I'll have my GR3 because I really love having that in my pocket all the time. Um, so that's my plan. I like I, it. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to shoot, except for the GR3, I'm going to shoot all film. Awesome. And probably get less than half of them are usable, I'm sure. But I'm going to learn something. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> as always, wonderful to chat with you any any anything else we may not have covered as far as your future retirement or anything like that yeah well you know we're gonna do um this and we kind of touched on it but um i will be um i'll be uh coaching the world championships team um the usac uh usc cycling uh world's team in fayetteville um so i'll be there on the ground with everybody riding and and doing whatever I can. Um, it'll be a really great experience. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, I really wanted to finish kind of my career out by riding Worlds because I started it by seeing Worlds in Louisville. And I wanted to finish that off kind of full circle and ride there. But I kind of realized that maybe this is actually the way that I want to do it. <laughs> 
be there on the ground just like I was last time and enjoy it, see people. And, um, I, I really hope that I can bring something to the table for these athletes um, and, and for Yuzak and um, yeah, who knows? Maybe it'll uh, it'll build in something into the future. Yeah. Well, I have to say, from from the first time running across you at uh, Schoolie Mill in uh, Maryland <laughs> to uh, to um, Wheaton Nationals, it is it has always been awesome and a pleasure following your career. And um, you know, congratulations on on everything you accomplished competitively riding a bike. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's always been uh, been good to have your support every uh, just about every step of the way on this. So, thank you. Right. It's, been, uh, it's been real, real. Yeah, it has. Um, I'll see you in a couple of days. See you in a couple of days. The Slow Ride Podcast, three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast, the titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast, the Zwift racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast, the arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast, when's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast, the experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.